God, I ask that you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that receive your love and word this morning. I pray that everything I made up or came out of my brain would fall on the ground, not be remembered by anybody. But I ask that everything that you have to say to us this morning would be received with gladness and joy and shape us into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. Pray this in his name. Amen. So it's been three weeks now since Easter Sunday. Uh, We are actually in a new season. So here at Sweetwater Christian Church, we, we like to be guided by what's called the church calendar. Um, it's an old and ancient calendar created by wise people in the church a long, long time ago um, as a way of centering our entire year, uh, our routines and our lives and our patterns, even our days and weeks uh, around the story of Jesus. It's a practical way to live an alternative life. Uh, one that isn't holden to the routines and the patterns demanded from us from the world, but one that revolves around Jesus Christ. And that's why the church calendar exists. The, the Christian year begins <coughs> where the life of Jesus begins. Some, actually, sometime in late November, it starts with Advent. That's our new year. And then sometime in April, we get our biggest and most important holiday of Easter, And there's a season that leads up to Easter. It's 40 days. It's called Lent. We went through that. And then Easter actually begins a new season. And it's just called Easter season. It's Easter season right now. Uh, it's, It's a time of exploring the new life that Jesus gives us because of his resurrection. Uh, it's, it's, it just lasts seven weeks up until Pentecost, the giving of the Holy Spirit, and then we're in ordinary time, which is just kind of whatever, and then Advent again. That's, that's kind of our pattern. And so we're in the middle of Easter season, exploring the life that Jesus gives because of his resurrection. <clears throat> and that's why behind me, you'll continue to see artwork on the wall. It's, it's, a, it's a grave with an abundant amount of beautiful life coming out of it. And it's supposed to remind us that without the resurrection, our lives look a lot more like death, a lot more like a grave. But because of Jesus's resurrection, it looks more like abundant life. It reminds us that death does not get the final say. That although you and I will be gone, one day, remembered by fewer and fewer people with every passing year, that death gives way to life because of Jesus. Death does not have the final say. So since we're in Easter season and the church calendar has us exploring new life, uh, today we're going to see that this new life of ours, in this, this new life that we've been given because of Jesus, we have a leader we have a leader. We have someone to follow. We, we have this new life uh, where you aren't just set off on your own to explore. Actually, it's a life where we are guided and led into by someone. Obviously, that's Jesus. Uh, he's the one that we follow. He's the one that brings us into this new life. But the way that Jesus describes 
his leadership of us is actually very contextual. <clears throat> it's very first century Israel contextual. It's not something that you and I would immediately connect to. Uh, before here, I, I was at another church in a very small rural town called Cottonwood. And uh, up there in Cottonwood, where I used to preach, they know all about what Jesus is talking about in our text today. Uh, his metaphors are a little closer to home up there because Jesus often uses agricultural metaphors. And that's about all there is to do in Cottonwood, Texas. But here, there's probably a small handful of folks that maybe get it a little bit, but the rest of us are going to need a little help. So we're going to be in John chapter 10, 1 through 11. Uh, there's Bibles in front of you or under you. <clears throat> if you don't have a Bible, you can have that one. If you want to study the Bible together, let me know and we'll set up a time. John 10, 1 through 11. Our new life with Jesus is a guided life. It's not a lone wolf kind of life where you're expected to do everything yourself. It's not a controlled or pre-written life where you have no choice or free will on your own. It's a guided life. It's a life where in order to live it well, you're going to need to know something about yourself. And what you're going to need to know about yourself is that you are a sheep. You have the soul of a sheep. And then I know that's, that's not necessarily a compliment in our culture today to be called a sheep, but it's not a bad thing, I promise. Uh, and I know sheep are actually kind of dumb, but in the kingdom of God, being a sheep is actually a really good thing because sheep live a guided life. All throughout scripture, there's this image of God as a shepherd and his sheep are always represented as, or his people are always represented as sheep over and over again. This is the image of the relationship between God and people that he chooses to give to us. And today we're going to embrace the role that he has given us as sheep, as we learn about our new life in the resurrection of Jesus, this guided life. So for context of our passage today, uh, Jesus is in what's called a discourse, okay? Uh, what we're about to read is more than a simple, sweet little teaching that Jesus gives to his disciples or to his closest friends. Actually, it's kind of just the opposite of that. Jesus is in the middle of a, content of, of a contentious discussion, maybe even a debate with the Pharisees. The, the religious leaders who openly and strongly opposed him. It's a passage where Jesus is trying to show what God is like to people who think they already know what God is like. Jesus is teaching the know-it-alls, the folks who, who uh, have the spiritual and academic authority, people who have their master's and doctoral degrees in religious studies, people who should know what God is like, but ironically, they know a lot less than even the common folk. 
That's our context for our passage today. It's a contentious scene, and the, the teachers are getting taught by Jesus about the true relationship between God and humans. And that's really where we pick up. It's John 10, 1 through 11. Uh, I'm reading from the NRSV, so it sounds a little different from the Bible in your pews. Very truly, I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way, is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, for they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. And so Jesus again said to them, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved. And who, will, uh, and who will come in and who will go out will find pasture. <clears throat> the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The life of a sheep is a guided life. Not completely autonomous, not completely controlled, just guided. A sheep is guided by only one person, a shepherd. One shepherd, just one person, that's it. You see, sheep have this uh, pretty well-known and impressive ability to recognize human voices. Uh, they can distinguish between my voice and your voice pretty easily. Even if our voices sound very similar to each other, they can still distinguish who we are. Um, <clears throat> uh, they, they, they have this ability to distinguish which voice is the one that they should follow, which voice is going to lead them to safety and food and water. They, they tend to be wary of strangers and they usually don't respond to voices that they don't recognize. And they can also remember faces really well, too. They can remember up to 50 different human and sheep faces for two years. And I don't know if I could remember a sheep face, to be honest, but they can even differentiate your emotions by looking at your face. Over thousands of years, their, their, their survival just depends on it. And over thousands of years, they're... Uh, they they developed these specialized neural systems in their temporal and frontal lobes of their brains that develop these unusual abilities to recognize specific sheep and specific people and what they are saying, all to keep them safe. Vulnerable creatures trying not to get eaten, looking for someone to take care of them and take them to the right places at the right time. That's what sheep are. Sheep may be dumb, but one thing the sheep are really good at is finding out who the safe ones are. That's what sheep are good at. Enter the shepherd. 
before Jesus goes on to explain his little parable to the Pharisees in the second half of our text, Jesus begins his teaching on what the relationship between God (coughs) and humans is like by setting up the scene. And in just the first two verses, uh, there are actually three characters that this teaching revolves around. There's bandits, there's sheep, and there's shepherds. And the image that Jesus sets up is that there is someone who tries to get to the sheep the wrong way. Bandits. They, they don't come in by the gate. They, they sneak. They deceive. They, they have a hidden agenda. They don't, they don't really care about the well-being of the sheep. They, they have ulterior motives for climbing over the wall, for climbing over the fence. And then there's someone who does try to get to the sheep another way, which is by the gate, the the obvious entrance with nothing to hide, no ulterior motive, no deception, no sneaking around. And the sheep are just trying to decide which one are we going to go with? Trying to decide who is going to lead them to safety, life, and abundance. And it's, it's a pretty obvious setup. Jesus is the shepherd with nothing to hide. The people are the sheep. And the bandits could really just be anybody with ulterior motives towards the sheep. People who exploit the sheep for their own gain. But one thing to keep in mind here is that Jesus is not talking about us, himself, and the devil. That's, easy, that's an easy parallel to try to conjure up. He's, he's not talking about us and him and the devil. Okay, Jesus is talking about spiritual things, but he's not talking about ultimate good versus evil here. This isn't a cosmic parable. This is a contextual parable. Remember, Jesus is giving this little parable to the Pharisees. Uh, The Pharisees are the people who help lead the Jewish people into worship. In many ways, they are the religious leaders of the land. They know the Bible. They know the law. They know who is ritually pure and who isn't. They are learned and experienced people of God. But in the time of Jesus, at least, something was seriously wrong with them. They took a a turn somewhere in the last 150 years. More often than not, they sided with the Roman government rather than the law of God. And they really liked the luxuries that Rome gave them. They gave in to the seductions of money and influence and power, rejecting the holiness and the gravity of their positions as the spiritual leaders of the community for their own selfish gain. In other words, the well-being of the sheep is not their top priority. They had ulterior motives. They hide things that didn't look good on them as spiritual leaders. They aren't safe. They're rustlers. In in Cottonwood, somebody would tell you that a rustler is somebody who steals livestock from somebody else so that you can keep them for yourself. That's what a rustler is. That's what the Pharisees are. They're rustlers. They aren't safe to be around. What Jesus is doing here is he's, he's setting up a contrast, 
Okay, the gospel's love contrasts. He's saying that there's people out there who look like spiritual leaders. They may even have nice offices with a bunch of books and a diploma on the wall. Uh, You know, they know the Bible and they know God himself, but if they give in to the seductions of power, money, and influence, then none of those things mean anything. Their books are worthless. Their degrees are pointless. You can't guide God's sheep into abundance and be holden to power and money. You can't keep the flock safe if you're focused on influence, having more eyeballs on you rather than having your eyeballs on the sheep. Those things don't make you a shepherd. Those things make you a bandit. Somebody with ulterior motives for self-gain. Not safe. But Jesus is saying that there is someone who is safe. He enters by the gate. He has nothing to hide. He has no ulterior motive. He's not a rustler. He's a shepherd. He can guide the sheep into abundance because he isn't impressed with all the stuff that Rome has to offer. In fact, it's just the opposite. He's homeless and he doesn't carry any money around with him. He can keep you safe because he isn't concerned with having friends in high places. He's concerned about you. When Jesus says that he is the good shepherd, he is saying that you are safe with him. Being guided by his voice, the more and more you become familiar with it, will lead you to life, a kingdom of God kind of life. Now that's how Jesus begins his discourse with the Pharisees, his debate. He sort of underhandedly is telling the Pharisees that they aren't the real leaders and shepherds of the people, but he is. Jesus is establishing himself as the good shepherd. But of course, the Pharisees don't get the picture. That Maybe they do get it and they just pretend to not know what Jesus is talking to them about. But either way, Jesus, Jesus goes on to explain his teaching. But instead of, of reestablishing himself as a shepherd this time, Jesus goes on to use another metaphor to talk about himself in comparison to the Pharisees. This time, Jesus calls himself a gate. He's a gate. We just learned what kind of shepherd Jesus is, but he's a good shepherd, but now we're going to see what kind of gate Jesus is. Maybe it's an odd metaphor on the surface to call yourself a gate, uh, but it actually makes a lot more sense in context. And so this discourse, this spat with the Pharisees is actually just a continuation of chapter nine. So in our Bibles, we have, you know, these number chapters that aren't original to the text. And sometimes we're just kind of trained to say, oh, there's a new chapter number. This must be a new place, a new idea in a new time. And that's not really true when it comes to the Bible. Oftentimes it's, it's read just as one big thing. And that's the case here. Our text today should be understood in, chapter, in the context of chapter 9. So what happens in chapter 9? Jesus and his disciples are in Jerusalem. Actually, they're, they're just outside of Jerusalem. They're, they're actually in a small suburb of Jerusalem called Acre. John doesn't tell us that explicitly, but because of archaeological evidence about the Pool of Siloam, that's where they are. They're in a small suburb just outside the gate. Uh, 
It's a Sabbath day. It's a Saturday, a day of rest for the Jews. And Jesus comes across a man who has been blind from birth. He's never seen anything in his entire life. He has to move around the world in a different way than you and I move around the world. And his other senses are, are kind of heightened in order to compensate for the lack of sight. And so you could say that this man who was born blind is really good at distinguishing voices. Little bells should be going off in your head right about now. Jesus and the disciples see this man, and the disciples immediately want to talk about what kind of sin led to this guy being disabled. Uh, Helping the guy doesn't pop into their heads first. They want to start talking theology right in front of the poor guy. But, but Jesus quickly turns their misguided question about cause and effect sin. And he, and he says, no, nobody sinned to make this guy this way. Come on, let's do the work of God for him. That's, that's a paraphrase. That's my paraphrase, but I think it's a good paraphrase. You can read it. It's up in chapter nine if you want to see it. Either way, Jesus starts doing something about this man's blindness. The disciples wanted to talk theology. Jesus starts doing theology. He makes some mud out of the dirt with his spit. It's a little gross, but that's what he does. And he he rubs it into the man's eyes and he gently tells the man, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Even though what Jesus did was weird to to this man who was blind, who experienced years of neglect from his fellow man, a lifetime of begging for food, a lifetime of bullying, every reason to be suspicious of the voices around him, learning which voices are the bullies, which voices are the ones with food, which voices will hurt him and which voices will ignore him. To this man, who was really good at distinguishing voices, the voice of Jesus does not make him flinch. Instead, the voice of Jesus guided him and he responded and it led him to a brand new life where he has sight, a new life. That's the context of our text today. And it's easy to extrapolate Jesus and a safe and good shepherd here, but, but what does it have to do with being a gate? Well, like a lot of Jesus' teachings, it has a lot to do with contrasting himself with the Pharisees. Later on in chapter 9, <clears throat> the Pharisees are, are questioning the once blind man. They brought him in, in front of him, questioning him like in a court of law almost, and They're asking him what happened and how Jesus did it. And the only thing that the once blind man can really say is that Jesus must be sent by God in order to heal him the way that he did. It's kind of all he can say. And the Pharisees, they start to get all proud and they get all puffed up. And they say things to him like, you're a disciple of Jesus, but we're disciples of Moses. You were born in sin and you're trying to teach us. You're a sinner. God doesn't listen to sinners. Proud things. 
these kinds of things. The, the kind of things that when a religious person says them, it actually turns people away from God. And when they spew all of their proud nonsense on the once blind man, the walking miracle right in front of them, it says in verse 34, and they drove him out. They drove him out. You see, Jesus is not the only person who considers himself to be a gate for the sheep of God. The Pharisees saw themselves as a gate as well. They were the gate that kept the true sheep. People that often looked a lot like them. And they were the gate that kept out the ones that didn't look the part, like the once blind man. But Jesus is a different kind of gate. And as always, it's just the opposite of the Pharisees. Here's where the rubber meets the road. While the Pharisees were more concerned about keeping some sheep in and keeping out a lot of other sheep out of the fold, Jesus is much more concerned with bringing in those who usually are excluded from the community, like the once blind man. The Pharisees excluded him from the fold of God, but Jesus sure didn't. And our temptation is to be like the Pharisees, always checking folks at the gate, trying to see if they really belong here with us clearly chosen ones, seeing if they really should be worshiping in here with us clearly favored ones. Jesus doesn't play the game of exclusion. Jesus is a gate that doesn't shut. Jesus is a gate that welcomes everyone into the fold. And how do I know this? I like to read ahead. (laughs) So go back to chapter 10, read ahead a little bit, and look down at verse 16. Jesus says, I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. There are fellow sheep out there that don't even know that they belong in here with us. Whether that's because we were like a Pharisee or because we just simply haven't told them. Jesus doesn't play the game of exclusion. Let Jesus decide who gets to be a part of his flock because we're just not that good at it. Let him do it. And Jesus is going to get what he wants. A day when there are no distinctions, just one flock and one shepherd guiding them into a brand new life. Do you recognize the safe voice? The voice that won't make you flinch when you hear it. Listen to his voice. Embrace the fact that you are a sheep in the fold of God living a guided life. Let's pray and we'll have communion together. God, we thank you that you've given us this image of a shepherd with his sheep. Father, we ask that you would help us embrace the role as your sheep. Not an autonomous life, 
Not one that's controlled, but one that is guided by just one voice. Father, I pray that you would give us ears that hear like the once blind man did, a heightened sense of distinguishing voices, distinguishing the safe one when you call out to us and when you say, go wash in the pool, that we will be guided into a new life. We love you. We ask for the grace to love you more in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.